0: Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to the teacher's story, enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully and today we have Jackie Turnwald with us and they are a transitioning teacher. So Jackie started as an English educator, award-winning educator, also a political activist, um, very much supporting LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC population and wanting to really you know, have this message of real equity and inclusion in DEI consultant work, and they are working for human centrics. Um, And I think by the end of our conversation here, we can get more into your current work. So welcome, Jackie.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Um, Even though you're you transitioned out of the classroom, um, I just want to kind of get some backstory about your inspiration first to become an educator. So if you could tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Um, so when I was younger, a number of people in my family struggled with different aspects of education. Um, I was the kid who went to school and loved taking a test and loved doing a project. Um, but I also felt a lot of anxiety about accomplishing at a very high level. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't until, um, I was much older that I figured out that I have ADHD, which, um, Mm -hmm. My mom probably also does, but they Mm -hmm. didn't do diagnoses for that um, when she was in school. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: And I had other family members who struggled with reading and uh, different learning disabilities. Um, And so I saw a lot of what happened in my household around trying to support what wasn't being supported at school. Mm. Um, And that definitely made me want to be in a classroom in regard to providing what all students need to be successful and not just the kids who show up and do it easily.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even in the 90s, there was still this stigma of, you know, the students with the learning plans. And I think students felt like they were always pushed aside. And so I think the education system really didn't support, you know, students and they felt that they were really struggling in school and felt like school wasn't for them. So yeah, yeah, I see that connection too. And and I love that that was your inspiration, like what you went through and saw like in your family too, like you wanted to do better in education. Um, so I love that, that you wanted to go into that work. So what were some of your early experiences or any of the you know, teaching experiences you wanna talk about?
1: Yeah, um, so my teaching career was kind of an interesting trajectory because um, I started teaching in South Korea oh, okay. um, as a Fulbright Scholar. And so I did six years of teaching in South Korea um, and then came back to get my master's in North Carolina Mm -hmm. and taught for an additional 13 years in North Carolina. Um, So I kind of got to see learning from very different perspectives Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. from
1: the very get go. Um, and that maybe changed my perspective when I came finally into a U.S. classroom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, a, a very wide variety of experiences.
0: Yeah, I um, did not do the extent of teaching abroad that long, but I taught in China for a summer. Yeah. Yeah. Very different, um, just Absolutely. culturally and how they learn, how students learn how the education system is. Um, I just had someone on recently talking about how she taught VIP kid platform um, mm-hmm. in China as well. And just seeing a lot of like the differences of even just how, cause that was online. So how families are as well. Oh, um, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I've always thought it funny, you know, lots of people like to break out numbers comparing um, Mm. success in education in different countries and saying that the U.S. is failing in certain regards, Um, but they're never actually looking at all of those components. They're just looking at a final number. They're not looking at the social and cultural sacrifices Mm. that are made in different places in order Mm. to achieve those numbers. They're not looking at social and emotional health of kids um, mm. as they pursue that process. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's, there's so much left out of that conversation, but yeah. it really is comparing apples to oranges, but mm-hmm. people are saying it's apples and apples.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's very different. And I, I don't uh, just like throwing out numbers in general. Standardized testing, Right. Yeah. AP classes I teach an AP class like AP scores and then like comparing countries because there's so much behind the scenes and yeah. there's so much more to education than just what you are you know able to do on a test right? Sure. Um, is there any more you want to just kind of explain about either teaching in Korea or the differences that you saw coming back to teaching in the U.S.?
1: Well I, I absolutely love teaching in Korea and you know if we talk about current situations in the U.S. I had when I was in Korea, national health insurance and mm. um, pretty reasonable pay, and uh, my apartment was covered, and wow. <laughs> um, and yeah. I, I also got a lot more societal respect as mm. educator. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have a very combative mm-hmm. mentality towards education and educators that's being sort of promoted mm. um, within our society, and so that makes a lot of conversations with Mm -hmm. families hard um, Mm -hmm. if they're coming from that particular perspective. Um, And then on top of that, Mm -hmm. we have teachers who are struggling to make ends meet because Mm -hmm. they're getting paid at a level that require their families to be on food stamps. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it's it's Mm -hmm. pretty scary the Mm -hmm. direction that we're headed here. Um, And if you'd told me 10, 15 years ago that education wouldn't be a stable profession, Mm -hmm. I'd have laughed in your face. Um, but there are lots of questions about that now. And, Mm -hmm. um, the reality is the education system here in the United States is headed towards collapse.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a
1: lot of people are not prepared for that reality. not?
0: No, I've talked about that many times. Um, and there's two big reasons teachers are really leaving. I mean, there's many, but it's the lack of support, Mm -hmm. but you could be in a school that's like very supportive, have great administration, but then it's just not livable like it's not a livable wage and uh now with you know everything going up and then with like the pandemic right so it's like you're doing so much more and then we need to like not increase your pay right Um, and I'm fortunate to live in New Jersey that you know it's relatively still a decent salary but also we're like the highest property taxes and it's so expensive but I know many other parts of the country where your teachers are still paid in the
1: 30s. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it, North Carolina just gave a so-called pay raise for the coming year. Yeah. Um, and people are like, this is not actually a raise. So mm. one, it's four, 4% average yeah. across the boards, but that average means that teachers at the highest level are getting the least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they were getting like a 1% raise. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at inflation, I think inflation was somewhere around 9%. Mm-hmm. So they're really taking a pay cut. And then mm-hmm. if uh, the state health true. plan costs go up at all, mm-hmm. you've actually lost everything that you've gained and mm-hmm. you're in the hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so what looks to the public like we're being offered something mm-hmm. is is really a bait and switch.
0: <laughs> That's so true. Um and just to go into like all of the benefits you had in Korea, free healthcare, you know. Right. Yeah, in
1: North Carolina, the the NCGA has also taken away retirement healthcare benefits from mm. from teachers. So teachers hired on after a certain year will yeah. not get those benefits.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's so many things. Um So any other experiences you want to talk about with the schools that you taught in, in North Carolina, or even like more currently through the pandemic, things that were real struggles or challenges or times of like, you know, learning moments with your students, anything that you want to share?
1: So the truth is I I have a theory, um, about education in general and teachers and, um, this is also true of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would experienced some trauma in my childhood and schools were definitely a safe place for me mm-hmm. uh, as part of where I thrived um, and found safety in my teachers, not necessarily my peers who picked on me a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the school system itself, mm-hmm. the ability to be successful in a classroom, those were all things that fed and drove me mm-hmm. and are also part of what brought me to being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I would posit that there are actually a lot of teachers in the system who are there for that same reason.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and the the issue is that in the age that we grew up, we were not offered much in the way of trauma counseling mm-hmm. um, or therapy in general. There were many more stigmas um, in our communities about seeking therapy. Um, and so we have a lot of people who may actually just be beginning their therapy journey or mm-hmm. haven't started at all as mm-hmm. adult educators in the classroom. And then you talk about the pandemic. Um, we can talk about the rash of school shootings across this entire country for mm-hmm. years upon years. Um, we can talk about the typical things that, uh, unfortunately, we see coming from different households, abuse mm-hmm. Um and you have kids coming to the classroom riddled with trauma themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now you have traumatized educators working with traumatized students experiencing very mm. trauma fatigue. Um, and I would say it's contributing mm. extensively to the burnout that we're seeing. We were mm-hmm. already seeing a huge burnout rate before, but once the pandemic hit and now you have global trauma, mm-hmm. which also isn't really being treated or talked about Mm -hmm. in the way that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, We have teachers leaving left, right and sideways.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And I, myself, you know, I experienced during the pandemic, um, I was asked essentially two weeks before school started to learn canvas, Mm -hmm. which I had never used in my life. And anybody who's used it knows it's not exactly the most user-friendly platform Mm -hmm. um it takes like 14 steps to do something that Mm -hmm. probably should take three (laughs) um (laughs) and so i had to build three courses online Mm -hmm. i'm not a digital designer or i wasn't then i am now
0: yeah Um, yeah
1: i had to build three courses online and then i had to teach them daily and we did full lessons so i was Mm -hmm. doing 90 minutes online with my kids Um, and so I was working 17 hour days Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. I logged over 800 hours on canvas. Wow. Um, I didn't feel like I could get away from anybody Mm -hmm. Mm and anything, um, because there wasn't anybody to fill my role. If I was out, like, Mm
2: -hmm. how do you
1: have a sub do online teaching that you designed or like there just weren't sufficient, um, backups. Mm -hmm. And so, while I was in a uh, Zoom call with our faculty, a faculty meeting Zoom call, my grandmother died of COVID.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh, and geez. that was
1: the experience of a lot of people, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think thank you so much, Jackie, for bringing up the trauma. Um, I haven't thought about it in the way of how we grew up, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a stigma. I mean, and I think the stigma too now is, especially as teachers, but any probably like professional, we can't talk about going through something hard because then we're painted as you can't do your job. you know. And especially when you're in a role where you're like taking care of children. And I want to change that and have a conversation as a community of like teachers are going through a lot of trauma. And that could be stemming from also their childhood because we did not have the ability to go to therapy or even talk about it with our parents, talk about it with our friends. Um, I don't remember going to a counselor in high school for things I needed to talk about besides college, right? Or just your classes. Um,
1: We're asking to see a therapist in college and we had to go out in the garage to talk about it because my parents didn't want my siblings to hear
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was real. But now you have those individuals, you know, in the role of being a teacher who are still dealing with their own trauma. And then through the pandemic, you know, possibly trying to figure out how can I get help? And then I have to help the children and they're going through their trauma. It is a very, that energy of trauma through the whole system and no one's really um, addressed it, but that's a really important focus. And so thank you so much for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it really is further contributing to the fact, and we've talked about this before, that, you know, education is built on a faulty foundation, mm-hmm. um, our current system, um, because it was built in order to create compliant factory workers. If you mm-hmm. look at the history mm-hmm. of, of education, that, that is the true mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not what we need right now. And I would posit it's not really what we ever needed (laughs) um and um it's been used as a means to um control society in some regards
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and you can't keep trying to reno a house (laughs) you can't keep trying to renovate a house that's built Mm -hmm. on a faulty foundation Mm -hmm. and not expect that it's going to collapse on you still Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we're seeing right now we've had attacks from people who are anti uh, public education that Mm -hmm. have uh, picked away at funding for schools that have created narratives that are negative about teachers and the education system Mm -hmm. that have labeled our schools failing by using Mm -hmm. systems that really capitalize on um, socioeconomic issues Mm -hmm. and where certain groups of people are, are centered in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of naming those things, they're saying, Oh, these schools are failing. Um, and then on the other hand, um, we have these trauma situations that are causing mm-hmm. people to fall out of teaching. We have leadership oftentimes that's not really supportive of the type of teaching that needs to be happening in our schools, mm-hmm. which again, I would posit is culturally responsive teaching. Um, mm-hmm that helps our students have an understanding of the full scope of the world around them, the full story of America.
0: And kind of going into that, if you want to, because I'm a history teacher, you were an English educator, talking about how do we make, how do we tell those truths in our classes, right? right? I don't know if there's any examples or things you want to talk about, the work that you did as a
1: teacher. Um, So absolutely. the large part of my career was working um, with uh, or in a school system where 80% of the students were black and brown.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so having curriculum that meets their experiences and brings mm-hmm. them to the table. Um, so one of the things that kind of always happened in my classroom early on is I would just ask them to write a narrative about their previous experiences in English classes. Mm-hmm. And I um, the majority of my students, and this wasn't a prompted thing because I was just like, tell me about your previous English experiences, Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. open-ended question. But the majority of my students had stories of educational harm to tell, Mm. typically of white teachers Mm -hmm. who made them feel less than or Mm. um, unintelligent or um, Mm. not really part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. They had experienced educational trauma. Yeah. because of people who were not culturally responsive, or who were outright racist towards them. Wow. Um, And many of those students had as a result pulled back from some aspect of their education, because Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like it was worth investing in. And Mm -hmm. we can talk all day long about, you know, the research that's been done about how students respond to a teacher that they feel Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) is invested
1: Mm -hmm. in them, versus a teacher that they feel is not. Yeah. Um, so we started by having some conversations around those things and mm-hmm. that helped to build some trust in the classroom to address some of those previous concerns and issues and experiences, and then talk about what we wanted going forward. Yeah. Um, and so for most of my units, um, I offered my kids a choice, um, mm-hmm. on whatever theme that we were studying. Um, And the texts in general were both uh, reflective um, and or windows into other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so kids could choose what they felt um, they were going to be most invested in. Mm -hmm. We had really great conversations um, in situations where like I needed to teach classic literature. Mm -hmm. um, I would never just teach Gatsby by itself, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which for me personally, I feel is very self-indulgent um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a text about a, a white male who even once he achieves the American dream, isn't happy with what he has. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we would pair it um, next to their eyes were watching God. Mm. Um, and so we would talk mm. about the experience of pursuing the American dream, what that looks like based on where you're coming from, mm. um, whether you're black, white, male, female, um, of an upper socioeconomic status or lower socioeconomic status, how does that shape your pursuit? What's available to you? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Whether or not you you box your dreams in like, mm-hmm. um, and we had such rich and deep conversations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the kids oft- often pursued things outside of the classroom where they were like, you know, this was a really good read. I want to find out more about this.
0: Oh, that's great. Um,
1: and so When I did this full curriculum with my students for, it was about two years, um, I found at the end of that, that the average rate of growth for English proficiency or reading proficiency for my students was two and a half grade levels in a semester. Oh, wow. Um, And so you want to talk about the potential to close the achievement gap?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: You need to teach culturally responsive curriculum.
0: You do. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, this is what teachers should be doing. And I think it's still very slow process in many schools around our country. I think we're we're getting there, but then there's pushback. Yes. So we could talk about pushback too, but sure. um, this is what good teachers do. Like you see the kids you have in front of you and you need to teach them in a way that you're telling also like, you're sharing other stories, but telling their story so that they don't feel like they're constantly like pushed in the background. And i like a history teacher and we have like team teaching. We have teachers who teach uh, the U S history curriculum together, but, you know, having conversations with our students about who's telling the story, right. You know, history is subjective it's and it's always, you know, usually been taught by the winners. Right. Right. And we need to flip that and really look at like, all of the different voices you know in history, all of the different voices in literature. And when kids can see themselves in the stories or at least also see other perspectives, look at what you saw growth because they're engaged and they care and they find it meaningful. And in this generation, I have to just plug gen Z because I'm just I'm all about it but they they will shut down. I don't care what school you're at again, their background, they will shut down if you are not teaching them appropriately. And yeah, if they feel, they know it, they know uh-huh. it and they're really insightful. Yeah. Um, and they know that they need to be engaged and they have a teacher that cares, but also has the curriculum that's really, you know, telling these different perspectives. Right. Um, otherwise they just, they won't do it. And if if they're doing anything, they're doing a bare minimum because their parents are probably on them about right. it, right? So this is exactly where, um, you know, education needs to go. So your work as a DEI consultant and some of that, like transitioning out of the classroom and going into that kind of stem from this work that you were doing.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, one, I've seen a number of things in that um, anytime I've I've left a school to move to another school, it was never because of the kids, the kids get it. The kids are amazing. The kids want, um, to learn the kind of curriculum that is truth telling. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when I've left, it's been because of adults who are really mired in mm-hmm. systems that are antiquated or ideas mm-hmm. that are antiquated um, or are unsupportive um, in a variety of ways. Um, and that makes it harder to do that work with the kids. Yeah. But it came to a point where I realized, like, this work has to go far beyond my classroom.
2: Mm.
1: Um, because again, my kids are getting it, um, but they're going out into a workforce where people are treating them mm. <laughs> in ways that are not sustainable for them to be successful. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not okay with that. I'm right. never going to be okay with that. Um,
0: and- Especially you do all this work right? Like you're doing all this work as an educator Right. they feel supported and they feel that they have a voice and they feel that their identity, they can show their full identity and it's respected. And then they go out to a workforce and then it's like, all of that goes away.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And so to me, it's the adults that we really need to be working with um, Mm -hmm. on how they're approaching their workforce, on how they're approaching Um, understanding the history of this country and how it Mm -hmm. plays a role in every single profession Mm -hmm. Um, you know we look at the medical profession Um, Mm -hmm. we know that black women die in childbirth Mm -hmm. at rates that are absolutely unacceptable Um, we know uh, so many different fields Mm -hmm. where we look at the banking profession where people are being denied loans Mm -hmm. left right and sideways Mm -hmm. we've got all of these situations still happening mm-hmm. and we have people who constantly claim that racism homophobia transphobia are not issues in our society
2: right not a problem right, right.
1: um mm. or as recently occurred in my town um mm-hmm. we're trying to get the town council to adopt a, the wake county non-discrimination ordinance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and as of right now, most of the council members have refused to sign on Mm -hmm. to the NDO. There's one council member who's been supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is actually an ordinance that protects people Mm -hmm. who are part of historically excluded groups. Yeah, Um, And it's a wide range of people. Um, But (laughs) you you talk to some of the adults around this and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, we don't need this. We're we're an inclusive town. Mm -hmm. Um, But not but a couple days ago somebody posted on one of our town Facebook pages that somebody yelled the n-word at them out their window as they were walking down the street on main street wow um so the the level of sort of denial and Mm -hmm. cloaking oneself in the individual bubble so as not to have to acknowledge some of these things continues to be high Mm -hmm. and so there needs to be more conversations with adults in workplaces um, we need workplaces too to be addressing trauma because schools yeah. are not the only places that are mired in that. Yeah. People come to work wearing their human suit, they don't take it off at the door.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, it's relevant work, and yeah. I hope that it's work that will help to address some of what is happening in schools. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And part of the writing that I'm doing right now is specifically about that, about the intersection between teacher and student trauma and the mm-hmm. impact that that's having right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's important work to get in and talk with adults and mm-hmm. get them experiencing educational humility is mm-hmm. really what I like to talk about. Yeah. So, so often when we do DEI work, um, folks come up against a concept or are told that they've done something mm. that is harmful. And we are taught, and I would say this is maybe the most dangerous binary we are taught. And as a mm-hmm. trans non-binary person, mm-hmm. it's not actually gender that I'm going to name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that is a dangerous binary that we're taught to, the the mm-hmm. binary of just mm-hmm. male or just female. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most dangerous binary that I think we are taught is the binary of good in, and bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when we do DEI work and mm-hmm. somebody tells mm-hmm. you, sense. you know, the thing that you're saying supports uh, mm. historical white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That person immediately goes to you're calling me a white supremacist. Yeah. That's bad. You're yeah. saying I'm bad. Yeah. And so, no, no De- that's Def-
0: defense defense I mean. mechanism.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. And the reality is, if people are naming those things for us, one hopefully it's because they have the kind of relationship with us where they are hopeful that we can actually learn and shift and change, or they wouldn't actually name it out loud.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And two, um, they have a belief that we can experience educational humility. Mm -hmm. Um, In those moments, if we can choose not to be defensive and we can instead say this is a learning opportunity Mm -hmm. Um, what is it that I need to learn here in order not to cause harm in the future and then also what Mm -hmm. can I pursue to repair the harm that I've currently done Mm -hmm. Um, we would have a very different situation Mm -hmm. but so often people go into that defensive place Mm -hmm. and then they double down on the thing that they've said or done which actually causes more harm yeah yeah (laughs) Um, and we end up in this sort of terrible cycle
0: yeah well said, wow. Um, I love the phrase, and I just wrote it down, educational humility. Um, coming to a place of, we're all doing this together to make it better. Mm-hmm. And we have to just, we have to own things, right? Within our own identity, our own background, our own story, our country story, everything. And have difficult conversations, but with love and care and compassion, And not feeling like you said, this binary of good and bad, or like, I'm just attacking you. Like no one's attacking you personally. We're having a conversation about what this actually looks like in society and what is not working and what's really harming people. And if we can be humble in that and really learn and be open-minded, then we can start to kind of move through like repair, right. And healing and growth. Absolutely. And I think the work you're doing and coming, and I love also this story of, because I know this could happen in the media with like teachers leaving the classroom and transitioning teachers all, they just all want to just leave and like, they don't care about the system, but you are leaving and taking the work that you did in your schools and now bringing it to the next level because they are connected. The workplace to students are connected and especially because Utah high school, right? Yes. Yeah. So you see them as young adults getting ready for the real world, right? Whether they go to college or right into the workforce. And so, you're going there to actually benefit them, mm-hmm. you know. And I really see that. So this is kind of your just next phase of the work that you want to do. Um, and I really appreciate that. I really hope that people like you and this work bringing into the workplace, into schools, like people really get it, like and get why we have to do. Because I feel like the DEI, even as a name, is had this negative connotation. And I don't know why it has to be so negative.
1: Exactly why. <laughs> um, I mean, it's the same thing that's happened with so many other terms, where the narrative gets flipped in order mm-hmm. to try and turn it into a negative concept. We've seen the same thing happen with aspects of teaching, right? Or culturally responsive teaching, which many teachers are doing very well, mm-hmm. um, people have now equated to CRT, which is critical race theory, which right. is that's taught at it's a graduate different. level, and yeah. most educators. Don't actually have much knowledge or are well versed right. in that. Um, they're they're connected. They they have connected threads, but they're not the same thing. Right. Um, and the the term CRT, which um, is actually a really interesting field, has been weaponized against educators. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see the same thing in that conversation with DEI. Mm-hmm. Recently, I saw a poll about how. Um, the term white privilege shouldn't be used anymore in DEI because it creates such a triggering response for people. Yeah. And my questions when I read that were one who was surveyed mm. um, <laughs> and, and two part of the work of DEI is address uh, addressing those triggers. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. remove the trigger and you're not actually going to do the work. That's going to get us somewhere Productive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, why do we have that response to mm-hmm. the word white privilege? Where does that come from? What mm-hmm. systems and ideas that we've leaned into mm-hmm. are actually being reframed in a way that upsets us when mm-hmm. that's said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then how do we unpack that?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And so it, it's interesting because a lot of these fields where people are trying to do productive work to move us forward. Um, They are getting language push, pushback and manipulation Mm -hmm. in order to make what they're doing sound um, aggressive or um, like it's stirring the pot instead Mm. of trying to help a thing.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast and um, bring educators on such as you, whether they're still in the classroom or they transitioned is we can't gain any knowledge or perspective from media and they're going to bash it and they're going to spin it. And and then it all ties to politics. You got to talk to the people, the people that are in it and the people that care and doing this good work and that it's all coming from a good place. It's not coming from a place to hurt people. We don't want to hurt any more people. We don't. We don't want to create trauma, right? No. We want to we want to heal and we want to be truthful and we want to do this from a place of care. Um, and I think, you know, educators still in it and educators moving on and doing other good work really have a lot to give because we see it with our students and we care about them growing into this next generation. And um, this is great. I'm just glad that you you brought up the whole like CRT versus also like culturally responsive teaching and all this, you know, language that gets thrown around. So, thank you so much, Jackie, for this wonderful conversation today. Is there anything else before we end here that you'd like to say in general about education or about the work you're doing? Um, well, I think you brought
1: up a good point about the kind of humanizing of things and and people hearing individual stories. Um, I talk with my students, um, or I I used to talk with my students when we talked about argument about ethos, pathos, and logos, Mm -hmm. Um, the ethical arguments, the the emotional arguments, and the logical arguments, and Mm -hmm. we have come to a point in America where I would say we are actually a pathos-driven society, Mm -hmm. Um, we don't listen as much to the facts, we don't listen as much to the ethical arguments, Um, but we often can get through to people with pathos, which is the emotional argument or the personal, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, you think about, um, I always tell people in 1998 when I was in high school is when Matthew Shepard was killed. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was killed essentially for being gay in public. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and at that time, a lot of people said that they didn't know someone who was gay Mm -hmm. Um, now that climate has shifted quite a bit. Nine out of 10 people will tell you that they know someone who's gay or gay identifying. Um, and only three out of 10 people will tell you that they know someone who's trans. Mm -hmm. Um, and the trans community now experiences higher rates of violence Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, discrimination than any Mm -hmm. other. When we personalize our stories and Mm -hmm. people learn more about us, um, we close some of the gap of fear and anger yeah. that people la- lash out with. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate that you're telling personal stories mm-hmm. uh, because that, that helps.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. That's such a great message to end with. And I really appreciate this, Jackie and keep doing the good work in DEI consulting. I wish you all the luck and thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: You too. Bye.
1: Bye.